Welcome back to our third and final episode on our Points of Discussion podcast about the use of laser therapy to treat congenital melanocytic nevi in children. In episode two, you heard from Dr. Alona Frieden about alternatives to laser therapy. Now our guest speakers, Dr. Rox Anderson, Dr. Yakir Levine, and Dr. Alona Frieden come together to answer questions from our live studio audience and discuss the research still needed to better answer this question. Before we begin, it's important to note the views and information expressed during this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the Pediatric Dermatology Research Alliance. The purpose of this podcast is to be thought-provoking and to stimulate new ideas, new collaborations, and novel research. Any reference to medical treatment or disease management is for this purpose only. It is not an endorsement by PEDRA, and it is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Any decisions related to medical care should be made in consultation with a qualified healthcare provider. And now I would like to welcome back Dr. Elena Haraluk as your program moderator. She is a pediatric dermatologist at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston Children's Hospital. She's an associate professor of dermatology at Harvard Medical School and the faculty director of pediatric dermatology for the Harvard Combined Dermatology Residency Program. She's also the chair for PEDRA's Early Investigator Committee. And at this time, I'll turn it over to you, Dr. Haraluk. Thanks, Jen. Welcome back to episode three of our discussion of the use of laser therapy for the treatment of congenital melanocytic nevi in children. In the first two episodes, we explored exciting developments in the use of laser therapy, as well as a more conservative approach of clinical monitoring. Now the two sides come together to discuss and identify research gaps to better answer this question of the role for laser in congenital nevus management. A moderated discussion takes place between expert guests before a live early career and trainee audience. Questions from the audience are answered and expert guests have the opportunity for point and counterpoint type debate with each other. So my name is Mia Malagusis. I am a student out of Tufts University School of Medicine. Um, and thank you all for sharing your perspectives today. Uh, my question I think is mainly for Dr. Frieden. Um, so you shared some really insightful um, and a guarded perspective of use of laser in these patients with congenital nevi. Um, but could you please maybe talk a little bit about, a little bit more I should say at this point about how um, that laser used for capillary malformations differs from this. I know, you know, we've talked at this point about how in both sets of patients, um, the differences can be temporary, um, may require multiple sessions, multiple sedations in the OR, yet we still always really strongly encourage um, use of laser in these patients. Um, so I'm just curious how the approach to counseling and treatment looks different for congenital nevi. Well, I think there are both similarities and differences, actually. I think um, most large Port Weinstein birthmarks um, can't be cured with laser either. Um, and, and so there too, we're doing our best to improve them to get the best outcome. But at the same time, we need to be realistic with families for what is doable and what we want them to try and learn to live with and to create a family environment where a child feels comfortable having a difference. Uh, so those are definitely similarities. Another similarity is that <clears throat> both conditions um, are mediated by similar genomic alterations, not so much in the exact genes, they're different genes. Um, but in the case of Port Weinstein birthmarks, many of them are in the same pathway, this RAS, MAP kinase pathway, GNAC, uh, which is not a common cause of 
congenital anesthetic nevus, although it does cause um, some melanomas and it, it also uh, some, some blue nevi. So I think um, that setting expectations and talking about what's currently on the landscape and then our hopes for the future is probably common to both. Um, what's, I guess the difference is, is that there's far more evidence to support um, the use and sustain and uh, expected improvement with port wine birthmarks than there is with congenital nevi. Uh, so that would be, to me, a difference. Yep, thank you, Dr. Frieden. I'd like to turn it over for the opposite perspective, perhaps to Dr. Anderson. Well, what if I don't have an opposite perspective? Because I, like Ilona, I take care of many children. And you, you have to, like she was saying, you join the family. One of the things I do, if, if you get a partial response to laser, so it's improved, but it's not gone, you still have a, a, an issue to deal with. Or if you choose that you're not gonna treat this lesion, um, I actually try to turn that family and that child into an ambassador for everyone else in the world who has some kind of disfigurement. And it, it goes from, the, the patient goes from being a victim to being uh, a, uh, a positive influence for everyone who has this kind of disfigurement. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with looking different. I, I really believe the modern perspective is moving in the right direction uh, in terms of it's okay to wear this thing and be who you are. Um, but um, I have seen excellent results from laser. Um, what I wish I had was a crystal ball to know who's going to get them. We don't have an upfront diagnostic to, to tell us who's gonna do very well. I have a sense for, you know, I'd rather treat, let's say a Caucasian person because there's bigger contrast for the, the way these lasers work is that the light pulse is absorbed by the melanin, which is what you see with your eye when you look at these patients. And so you're destroying the cells that actually produce the melanin. And you can almost always lighten these lesions, get an improvement in them. Thank you for that. We have some exciting questions next to Diana. Hi, um, this is for Dr. Anderson as well. I was wondering what your personal uh, thoughts are on letting the child take um, charge of his treatment plan when he's old enough or treating at a younger age. Great question, uh, Diana. I, uh, children vary greatly in the age at which they become sort of really cognizant and able to make decisions. And you'd be surprised how, how some kids can really weigh in early, like age five and six, they're highly opinionated. Um, under the age of about three, they don't, they don't care. They could have a horn coming out of the top of their head and they wouldn't notice. Uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, so there's this kind of sweet spot, if you will, in the, in the early treatment of these lesions. If they have a lesion that you really have to treat, like you're just everybody's, the doctor, the patients, everybody else. Then, um, but I like it when the uh, child is old enough to really have an opinion about it. And I always ask, you know, um, what, you know, you, you, there's questions, open-ended questions, you know, how you doing in school? Um, and I've, I have met children who are frankly suicidal uh, 
because of their uh, difference in appearance in their appearance and then after a good outcome and some and a, and a therapeutic relationship where they actually own their sort of like they're not in denial or they're not being bullied anymore and so forth it, then they really turn the corner and it, it's amazing um, that requires engagement with their opinion about themselves it doesn't work talking from the parents or getting some external thing uh, you you really have to get inside the skin of that child and um, understand where they're at um, I've seen plenty of people, um, you know, ages eight to ten, uh, acting way beyond their their they're more mature than you would imagine because they've experienced this thing. They dream about it. They get feedback from their peers. That uh, one another thing is very helpful is connect them to other families. Um, I. Um, I love going, my, one of my hobbies is go around the world taking care of other people's children. And, you know, if you're the only one in your village with this thing, it can be awful. So here we are on a web-based process. I mean, the technology now to connect people across the globe is unprecedented. So they need to know that they belong, that they're not uh, outcast. Thank you. Dr. Frieden, you've already answered this one. Do you have any other comments to add on it? I think it's exactly right. And, and there, there are children. I mean, I think asking about bullying, asking about, about school avoidance, asking about social interactions are kind of you know, quick ways to get to what's, what's really going on. Um, uh, I, I think parents have their own journey to take, and it's not an easy one either. Uh, but it should actually ideally not be at the, not be with the child in that sense that they really need to work out what their own issues are about this and and come to terms with with it with the journey themselves because it's separate and it and it also has to do a lot of times I find with the parents um, unfortunately polarizing sometimes about you know one of them wanting something and the other one not wanting something and there it, it gets very complex. Thank you. We have another question from Matthew. Hi there, I'm Matt Mahoney. I'm a first year pediatric resident at the University of Minnesota. This is more directed towards Dr. Levine and Anderson. So if you've reached the point that laser is the right option, how do you introduce it as a treatment option? I can imagine that many of my own patients' families would react to suggesting something that seems so scary. So I'm curious how you bring it up, whether for CMN or for other lesions. I think that's a great question. Um, I'll say that um, in most instances, uh, the family is aware somewhat of laser treatment. They're, they've been referred for a consultation for the pot regarding the possibility of laser treatment. Um, that being said, they often don't have much of a sense of what that would involve or, or what realistic expectations of treatment are. So usually I find myself, and this is again in agreement with, uh, with Alona and Rox, um, cautioning about the um, what's reasonable to expect in terms of the results of the laser treatment, rather than advocating, I think we should go ahead and do this. Um, there are cases where I think that um, I have told families that, you know, I, th I think this is a good case for it, um, but for the most part, it's really an education of how the laser works and what they can reliably expect from it. There's, a, if I might just add a comment, another, there are some outside of medicine useful organizations, nevis.org, um, 
is a collection of very patient oriented and family oriented. Um, they have an annual meeting um, and uh, they really try not only to offer a medical perspective, but a, a personal perspective. And it, it really helps, I think, families in their decision-making process. So I try not to just play the expert. I try to play the role of someone who directs them toward information. And then you sort of together make the decision where the treat. It's interesting, Matt, and you, the way you posed your question that lasers, of course, are dangerous. That That's a part of the public persona of, of lasers that's just not true. <laughs> so you have to dispel that myth to begin with. But I think on the One other the side, people, I think what, what Rock said earlier about a laser, laser, I, I think it's unfortunate laser rhymes with eraser because so many people yeah, come yeah. thinking it's imbued with magical qualities and really fundamentally, you know, it's, it's, it's a form of selective, I, correct me if I'm wrong about this, Matt Rocks, but the way I think about it is a form of selective destruction by with heat primarily. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and if you can kind of demystify it, that, that's important too, because you don't want them to, to think that you're doing, that you have a magic wand. Yeah, it's, it's not magic. It's, uh, in fact, I, I often with patients use the analogy on a, on a hot summer day with the sun shining down, you got two cars in the parking lot. One's white and one's black. And the black one's going to get a lot hotter. That's what's going on inside your skin. <laughs> we're shining light in there and we're trying to set it up so that the damage done is, is enough, but not too much. And therein lies the skill. One other thing I'd like to add in response to the question is just that um, I often find when meeting with parents for the first time, um, they have a lot of questions, and I, I purposely schedule enough time to meet with them as long as they want to talk. However, um, they often have questions afterward. You know, they may have written things down, they may um, not have written things down, but often they have questions afterward. And, you know, because these patients have a, have a significant malformation that will cause lifelong, um, have, have some sort of lifelong impact, I, I'm pretty liberal, actually, about giving, giving out my cell phone number and giving out my email address to families. And um, I haven't had anyone abuse it yet, um, but I do have uh, relationships with families ongoing, both those who are undergoing treatment and those who are not undergoing treatment, um, phone conversations, email exchanges. And I do find that as a way also of um, educating families and remaining on, on their side as, as the other um, experts have said. Thank you so much. We have a question from Archana. Good afternoon. Um, so thank you. We have heard and seen so much of congenital melanocytic nevus um, in Asia, especially in India, because we have a lot of population and one in a million is a lot. So it's very nice to know about. So don't all just there know about laser and surgery, but the turmoil and the psychological, um, how to tackle a patient and like you said, it's not the patient, but the family and answer the mother, the father, the grandparents, everybody, and have them come to a consensus to go ahead and treat the patient. And I'd also like to add that male babies tend to get more attention from their family members and the female babies are just neglected. Um, so it's very good to know that um, there is a way to deal with 
the psychological effects that go through with the patients. And I'd like to direct my question to Dr. Anderson. He said he's seen great results and you seem to have been like a leading artist in this art of laser to help us tell uh, what is the best response you have seen and what is what were the unique features that you predict that give you good results when you look at a nevus? Well, I appreciate your question, Archana. And uh, if I just might make a comment, you know, there is this, uh, you're right about the sexism, if you will, um, uh, of baby girls and baby boys. There's more emphasis in most cultures on the appearance of the girl. And uh, if you, I've had this experience, if you go to mainland China and just visit the orphanages, you'll find a lot of young girls with facial lesions. It, it's amazing, like maybe a fourth of the kids in the orphanage are girls with a life-altering facial disfigurement. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, the best response I've ever seen for laser treatment of congenital nevi is completely normal skin. You can't tell that the patient ever had a nevus. And I've only seen it once, and I'm guilty of publishing that case. We put, <laughs> it was such a surprise to me. Um, I, published, uh, I published that about, oh gosh, 15 years ago. And what was unique about, this was in a woman about 20 years old. She had a very, very prominent dark black nevus that was covering her entire chin um, and lots of uh, hair uh, coming out of it. Uh, she underwent about 20 treatments with uh, long and short pulse uh, uh, NDAG uh, treatments. This was a Japanese woman, by the way. Um, but what was different was she also went to an electrologist. And she went out of her way to destroy the hair. She, she hated the fact that she had a beard on her black chin. Um, and... Um, after, after I think it was a series of maybe four years or five years uh, visiting the electrologist, literally almost weekly, right? Um, and I have seen the same uh, phenomenon clinically as Ilona was pointing out, we don't have good evidence in part because the incidence of these lesions is not high. And so you go around talking to, to clinicians like me, they'll tell you the stories, the good, bad, and ugly of their experience, but there's never really been a, um, you know, longitudinal, large, multi-center trial. So the, this is just anecdotal, but I've noticed in many of my patients that you have to get rid of those abnormal hair follicles if you want to have this nevus truly regress. So the approach I typically take with a laser is first work on the pigment in the skin. Right, get the get the nevus, the, the color of the skin surrounding those hair follicles to be light enough that you can come in with some very heavy laser parameters and blow away the hair follicle. If you start with those heavy-handed parameters, you will hurt the patient and you'll get scarring and burns. And um, so it's it's kind of a of a crescendo, if you will. You start gentle. I just wish we had something better than laser. We're talking about laser, laser, laser. Ah, Yelona, come up with something better, please, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Oh, 
So thank you so much. Uh, as a tandem to that question, I'd like to um, have Dr. Uh, Levin win his opinion on, is there a particular adjustment or a setting that that has been a, a safe uh, safe net for you when you treat uh, patients in skin of color? Because we are directing pigment here and when the background pigmentation itself is at its high, uh, do you have some tricks in your bag that help you uh, weigh lesser towards the risks of um, pigmentation? Thank you. That's an excellent question. That's an excellent question in treating skin of color in general, and certainly in these cases when uh, treating congenital monocytic nevi, um, like like Dr. Frieden said, eliminating all the pigment in someone's skin and causing vitiligo is can be just as bad as causing a severe scar. Um, there, I'm very hesitant to even uh, suggest that there may be some magical setting or some universally safe setting uh, that will result in improvement without any risk of um, damage. I mean, of course, you could choose not to treat and you won't get damage. You could use a, a affluence or, or a setting that's so weak that you can almost be sure it won't provide any benefit and then you won't get any damage either. Um, in terms of tricks to try to avoid that, you can, you know, these lasers have, have fairly small, or at least you can adjust them to have fairly small spots. You can do um, test spots and you know, sometimes you can wait, do test spots and wait and see how they reacted a uh, sometime later. Um, and if you did have a negative aspect, uh, negative result, then um, avoid that setting. Um, often you can even tell immediately um, for an experienced laser surgeon, there are immediate endpoints that are good and immediate endpoints that are not good. And um, if you see the ones that are not good, you know you've gone too strong. And so don't use that setting when you're treating the whole uh, lesion. Can I can I put in my two bits? There's and uh, and uh, Yakir knows this uh, very well. Uh, one of the simple tricks, what you'd like to preserve is the normal melanin, and anatomically that is in the epidermis. These congenital nevi have melanin all through the lower layer, the connective tissue part of your skin called the dermis, and they can go way down, but. The epidermis is right on top. It's the thickness of one sheet of paper. And a very simple and effective trick is to, is to cool the surface of the skin. So many of our lasers now have um, very aggressive skin coolers in them. You literally spray a, a, a liquid that's at minus 50 degrees Celsius, uh, right smack on the top of the skin, just before the laser pulse arrives. And what that does is that the, the light from the laser, when it arrives to the skin, you, you, you're sort of using the laser to keep the epidermis from freezing to death <laughs> while you um, simultaneously, uh, selectively heat and destroy the melanocytes in the dermis below it. So skin cooling is probably our big trick for skin of color. Hi everyone, I'm Aparna Nayak. I'm a second year med student at Noida College of Osteopathic Medicine. So my questions are for Dr. Levine. So you mentioned that repigmentation can occur after performing laser therapy in patients um, with congenital melanocytic nevi. If you have had patients that experience repigmentation, at what point do you stop performing those laser therapies and switch to another treatment? And how do you navigate those situations? 
Yeah, so it's very common. In fact, usually um, when you treat uh, congenital melanocytic nevus, if you look at the patient, you know, a couple weeks later, a month later, um, after they've healed from the treatment, you you may well think you've cured them or or you've, uh, you know, achieved an amazing result. So usually there will be some aspect of repigmentation, and that's why you have to do so many treatments. In terms of when to stop, it's, I advise stopping when we reach the point, again, I should back up for a second. In terms of when to stop, it depends a little bit on how long the family and the patient are willing to proceed. We talked earlier about um, the need to take into account um, the wishes of the, ch of the patient, the wishes of their parents. But if they are, let's say, motivated to continue as long as possible, then I advise stopping when I no longer see improvement from treatment to treatment, um, when we've reached the plateau. And at that time I say, let's wait a while, if this does repigment further years down the road, we can come back and revisit this. But at that point, they may have achieved the maximum uh, benefit that they're likely to achieve. From all the patients you've treated, I know we discussed how age is a factor in determining when to perform laser therapy. Have you performed laser therapy on a newborn with a congenital nevi? And would you say that is more ideal or optimal compared to Monitoring, monitoring that um, lesion throughout their life and then when the skin and lesion are more developed? Well, I, I will answer that as best I can, but I also would like to hear from Rox on this as well. Um, I have treated very young children. Um, in my experience, they tend to do, in terms of the clinical results, they tend to do better. The lesion has not thickened as much, it's often not hairy, and as noted previously, those are the lesions that tend to do better overall. Um, that being said, there are many arguments that have been mentioned already here for uh, potentially delaying treatment, and I'd really like to hear from, from others what they have to think about that. Well, since you called me out, I mean, I'd, I would much rather treat a newborn and um, Dr. Friedman, was, uh, is, who has a real expertise on these vascular lesions, like the other you know, red birthmarks, those kids do much better if you treat them at birth. Um, the, the, there seems to be a transition at age six months or so. But um, uh, at birth, uh, children's skin is much thinner. Um, and light just doesn't go through walls, right? So everything is on your side if you can treat them early on. Um, the skin is thinner, they heal very well, the lesion is smaller, so you have less of a job to do. The anesthesia is much easier to, to obtain. I mean, birth has got to hurt, all right? Let's face it, <laughs> getting squeezed out the birth canal with no anesthesia on board is not a great experience for that little kid. Um, and what we do to treat these lesions is probably far less traumatic than getting born. I would rather, in a, in a newborn who clearly has a lesion that would benefit best, where the laser becomes, you know, kind of the only option. Uh, if the stars are aligned, I'd aligned. I would rather treat that child at that age than later on. Thank well, you. I guess I'll be the naysayer here. <laughs> we can actually have <laughs> That's why I wanted multiple opinions from the <laughs> well, laser standpoint. I think it worked best, but yes, go ahead. Well, I mean, a couple of things. First of all, the experience, which I think Veronica Kinsler really, that, that I was very um, impressed. It's Pola Bothu is the, is the first author and, and Elena, maybe we can put those 
links in for the uh, for the audience for the webinar of those key references. Um, <clears throat> curatage, and we actually did dermabrasion here at UCSF very early in my career. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a plastic surgeon very interested in doing dermabrasion for giant congenital nevi. But, but I think um, Veronica Kinsler pretty clearly showed that there was no difference with that very, at least superficial approach. So that's, that's, that's point one. I mean, the temptation is there. Point number two, you, you certainly wanted, wouldn't want to use general anesthesia on a very young infant, that would not be safe. Um, so I assume that, that that's not what, what uh, Dr. Levine or, or Anderson are talking about. Point number three, the downside in a very young newborn of doing something that might leave some kind of skin erosion or, or barrier concerns me because newborns are compromised hosts, basically, in, at least for the first month or two of life in terms of risk of infections and things like that. And they also, I, I feel, and then I do this with the Port Weinstein birthmarks too. I like kids to actually be, I know that they're healthy, they're eating regularly and growing before I want to consider an intervention. And that's not that not, not waiting that long. That's waiting a couple of months, basically. So I'm not sure what we mean by newborn, because to me, newborn is strictly speaking the first month of life. But even the first two months of life to me is a time when I'm not excited to intervene um, uh, because of the disruption of just establishing normal feeding uh, patterns, normal um, bonding, parental bonding with, with children. So, so these are also considerations that I, I think all of us would agree for sure that, that one really wants to take a holistic approach, which is to look at the whole patient, the whole family context. Are they driving six hours and you're gonna make them drive every you know, month to see you? That can be a real hardship for a family as opposed to, you know, do they live down the street? In which case, you know, you have them come in whenever it's good, those kinds of things. Um, need to be considered. Are there other siblings at home who need to be taken care of and, and what happens to them? So you sort of, there's so many factors to think of in terms of timing. So to me, if we had absolute proof that it was better, you know, earlier, I would put that higher on my list. But but I, I think that, that I'm, even though they're coming from very authoritative sources, I, 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 I have a little skepticism about, about that record. So I, I have to come back and say, I agree with you. Uh, <laughs> it's extremely rare for congenital melanocytic nevi that anybody would want their newborn treated. The only times I've done that, believe it or not, is for dermatology colleagues, <laughs> right? They, they're in the know. They get it. You know, they have a healthy baby and they make that decision without all the sort of sure. bells and whistles. Uh, I have to say for the, for the, vascular birthmarks, it really is important to get in there before the, so for those of you who are in medical school, you, you may know this, the, the form of hemoglobin that you're born with is not the same form of hemoglobin as an adult. And it turns out that that infant form of hemoglobin is strongly in favor of a better response for those red birthmarks. So that switch happens at about age six months. And there's a quite a bit of literature on that. And we're here talking about device. I'm gonna to leave the topic behind, but um, at any, any rate, I, 
I think Ilona is absolutely right. You know, you can't just jump in and you know have this heroic attitude toward a newborn unless the parents are 100% aware and on board. Yes. Hi, um, my name is Chinea from UTMB Galveston. Um, thank you so much for this discussion. I've learned a lot today. Um, I just had a quick question. So earlier we discussed that it takes multiple laser therapy sessions to see um, results in congenital nanocytic nevi. So I was just wondering if insurance plans typically cover the cost. And if not, what's the average cost of treatment? And do you think that the benefits of laser treatment outweigh the costs, especially in um, patients that might have a lower risk of their um, nevi developing into cancer, such as like a lower family history, but then um, their nevi tends to cause like a significant emotional distress to them and their families. Well, I mean, I can, I'll share my thoughts on that. Um, in terms of the cost of therapy, as was noted earlier, if you're doing it under general anesthesia, the main cost is the cost of the OR. Um, and so for those patients, we really do need approval of their insurance companies to allow it. In terms of myself, and I'm, I'm not tooting my own horn, I think this is probably true of, of many, many laser surgeons. In terms of our own reimbursement for these things, I honestly have no idea what it is, and, and I do it even if there is no reimbursement. Um, but when it's done um, for uh, under general anesthesia, you, you need to pay for the OR time, and, and that's not something that's in my control. Um, I hope that sort of answers the question. I mean, I, I with the non-answer, I guess, I, I really don't know how much insurance or whether they even pay for it, but this is a rare condition that can be so de destabilizing or debilitating to a young child. I mean, I, I wouldn't be able to put food on the table if I did it all the time, but you know, I feel compelled to treat if, if that's what is best for the child. Okay, thank you. Thanks so much. Okay, last question. One more from Grace. Thank you everybody for being here. Um, hi everyone, I'm Grace. I'm from Rush Medical College. Um, I just had a general question. I know um, some other um, students touched on, I think Aparna had also asked like in terms of like skin of color, like the outcomes that you have seen with laser treatment. I'm not sure like how much research is being done um, in that field as far as like, um, I know we talked about like settings. Um, just if you've noticed anything kind of from your clinical um, experience in treating um, patients with darker skin tones, um, what their recovery looks like. And also if there is any hesitancy amongst parents to treat, I kind of would be, that's kind of where my question lies. Like uh, what has been your experience? Maybe I'll pick that up. I mean, I think I'll speak uh, personally. I would rather see a black person with a congenital nevus um, because there's less contrast between their normal skin and this abnormal thing we call the congenital melanocytic nevus. So the outcome of laser treatment is very often partial lightening. And you don't want to lighten it you know, too much. So in essence, what we try to do is a balance uh, so that the person's appearance is, is better. Um, I mentioned the getting the hair out. It's, it's harder to get the hair out when there's a whole lot of pigment there. Um, which is a, another reason to kind of start on things in childhood as opposed to adulthood. Um, but uh, I, so I, I hope I've answered your question there. I mean, these lesions occur across the full spectrum of human skin colors. Um, and yet when you're, when you're thinking about the 
best outcome for the patient. Sometimes it's actually easier if their surrounding skin is darker uh, because they have less contrast. So I guess that's my answer. Um, I would also add that sometimes, and, and again, you have to look very holistically, um, the, the lack of such marked contrast makes it um, less disfiguring depending where it is. I mean, I think any kind of birthmark that's on the central face, which I would define as from the lateral campus or medially, often is quite disfiguring. But when you move away from that, I've certainly seen people with darker pigmented skin um, with a congenital nevus where it's just, it's not as no notable and they aren't as bothered by it. But I think, it, again, you have to look at each individual case. So I wouldn't make a generalization about that, but I think it is one consideration. I left one thing out, which is one of the things that can happen with lasers. It also happens with dry ice treatment very easily is complete depigmentation. And in people with skin of color, having a, a really white spot is worse by far <laughs> than having the nevus. So you just got to be careful that you don't um, overdo it. Thank you so much to our guest speakers for joining us. We have had such an enlightening podcast series. In our first episode, we heard from our laser experts, Drs. Rox Anderson and Yakir Levine, regarding the inside scoop in state of laser treatment in 2022 for congenital nevi. In our second episode, we heard from one of our senior pediatric dermatology leaders, Dr. Alona Frieden, who shared her experience in managing pediatric congenital melanocytic nevi patients conservatively with observation and the rationale for this approach. It was fabulous to hear both of these perspectives and address some of the pressing questions from our live trainee studio audience. Thank you so much to our incredible experts, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Levine, continue to broaden our horizons with new tools to take better care of our patients. And Dr. Frieden gives such a wise and measured perspective. We really couldn't ask for better experts here, so thank you for sharing your time and experience. Special thanks to our trainee live studio audience for your excellent questions and participation. And I hope for all of us that we continue to explore and incorporate new advances to take better care of our patients. And last but not least, I'm so grateful to Pija and Jen Dawson for all that you do to make this series possible. Thank you. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to this Points of Discussion series about the use of laser therapy to treat congenital melanocytic nevi in children. A special thanks to our moderator, Dr. Elena Harlock, our guest speakers, Dr. Rox Anderson, Dr. Yakir Levine, and Dr. Alona Frieden. And thank you very much to our live trainee studio audience for your insightful questions. If you would like to participate in a points of discussion or have a topic you'd like to hear debated, please contact us at info at Thanks for listening.